All right, we'll dive in this morning. It is Easter, and uh, and we celebrate Easter. We we love what's going on. We love all the work that God does in the context of leading us to Easter. And it's really funny. So I know you all probably aren't involved in church world, but I'm talking like so like pastors and church people call this like the Super Bowl of church, right? It's like that that one Sunday a month, and you like do things really out of the ordinary. People have like live animals coming down and stuff. We're not doing any of that, okay? Right? But we're literally just kind of coming. And the idea is really really simple. We want you to come this morning, we want you to recognize, man, this is an important day. In fact, what we would say is this, that Easter probably, I say probably, I'm going to say it in this way, in my opinion, no doubt, Easter and the resurrection is the most important moment of history for all of humanity, right? Like it's the most important event, the most important moment. You can think about lots of things that have happened in life and happened in the world throughout history. You've all taken history classes and lots of things that happened were super important. Don't get me wrong. But we believe as it relates to all of humanity, right, covering all the continents, covering all the people group and all the language, languages, there's not one single event that can trump the resurrection. Because in the moment of the resurrection, man, humanity who was separated from God in the resurrection, all of a sudden now has the opportunity to have relationship with the living creator God. Before that, impossible. Now, through resurrection, it's possible. And so I wonder so often when we come into to Easter, like let's just like if you were to like literally create a list of top ten things about Easter, right? Like Jesus and the resurrection is definitely on your list, but lots of other random things, right? You have like we have you know we got some Easter bunnies, we have some Easter eggs, we have pastels for some reason, right? Who knows, right? We have all sorts of things that are happening in the context of our life. We have like dinners and lunches and family. Great cousin Eddie's coming. That's awesome. Yeah, right. And you're like, please leave. And so get all these dynamics going down in the context of this season. So what happens so often is that we get into the moment and we forget. Or we don't embrace or experience this reality of resurrection. Being about the abundant life that comes through Jesus because we just get distracted. And the great thing for me is I was reading, as Randall was reading through from John's for 20, kind of the resurrection from the perspective of John. My favorite verse, to be completely honest with you, at least as it relates to my own frailty as a human being, is verse 9. I'm going to read it. You can see it up on the screen. It says, All this great stuff happened, but they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. I love this. Because what it shows is that they're just as clueless as we are, right? Because in the moment, like here's what you got. You have the, so when it talks about Scripture, it's not talking New Testament. Like scripture is talking about is the Old Testament. You can go back and read like the Isaiah 53s of the world, right? Talking about this Messiah, the Savior who would come. It's really, really powerful. And in the Old Testament, it talks about the Messiah, Jesus suffering, right? They got this Messiah just means the Savior, one who comes to save, okay? So the Savior, the one who comes to save, he will suffer. And then it says over there that he will, he will rise from the dead. And in fact, if you read through like the, the three years of Jesus and his disciples, you can look at Matthew 15 as an example, like there are multiple times when Jesus says, hey, 
just want you to know, guys, want to just give you clarity here, okay? Want to give you a heads up in advance so you can expect this and anticipate. I'm going to, are you paying attention? I'm going to suffer. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And then I'm going to be raised up again. Yay, right? And what's really, really funny is we get it that, that they still are clueless, right? They come running. They run in and they're like, this is so great. But they still did not understand from Scripture why it needed to happen. And I think as parents, I think we get this, don't we? Like, you ever tell your children something and that they've never heard it? Like in that moment, like your kid, you give them a pair of scissors. Remember when they're really little? You give them a pair of scissors. And what do you say to them? Whatever you do, don't cut your hair. It will look bad. I mean, you're cute, but it will look bad. Right? And they're like, okay, mommy and daddy. Right? Whatever it is. Right? And then all of a sudden, right, you, you, you just recognize it's too quiet. And you come around a corner. And in one hand is the scissors. And the other hand is the, all their bangs. Right? And you look at them like, oh! And like, what? Like, this look in the mirror and they go, oh my God! What's wrong with my hair? Why didn't you tell me? You're like, I did! Right? Your hair looks all cattywampus. I'm sorry! Or you have that moment, right? You have that moment. It's so cute, right? They're out there. It's that time of the year. So nice outside. Lightning bugs. Remember that moment with your kids? You've got lightning bugs, and they're flying around, and they catch them. You teach them how to come up and go, oh, this is a great moment. And you say to them, what? Listen, be careful. Don't squeeze them, because they will die in your hands, and it will be a mess. Look, okay. And then they just run off, right? And you see them running, and they're clenching their fists while they're running. Like, this is not going to go well, right? And all of a sudden, just randomly while you're in conversation, no! Right? And they come running, it's dead! Right? And you're like, I told you that would happen, right? You just didn't listen. And so in this moment, Jesus is having this moment of like, hey, you knew it was coming. It was like for thousands of years, you could read about it. I sat down with you multiple times and told you it was happening. And you're acting like you've never heard it before. Ah, right? It's one of those moments. And I wonder for us this morning as we come into Resurrection Sunday, as we come into Easter, like I sit here and I just want, and I look at it for myself. I'm not looking at you going, oh, great theologian I am. I'm saying, no, like I look at us. Us, corporately. And I go, I wonder if we understand. Like, I wonder if from Scripture we get it. Like, I wonder if your neighbor comes up to you tomorrow and says, Hey, walk me. I mean, this, probably, this may never happen, but it might. You never know, right? Walk me through what the Bible says about the resurrection. And tell me what it means. And then more importantly, would you tell me, because I'm wondering, why is it important to me? Like, I wonder if your blood pressure went up just a little bit right there. You're like, oh, my gosh, what would I say? Because in the moment you've come to all the Easter services, you've seen lambs paraded through church on Sunday morning for some reason, right? You've seen all of these things happen in Easter bunnies, and you just listen to all these sermons, and it's all great. But I wonder if it's gotten beyond just here to get to here 
so that when you think about resurrection, you know what, what it is and you know why it's important for you and for your neighbor. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to walk you through parts of Scripture to give you, begin giving you a snapshot of why this is important, what's going on in the moment, and why from Scripture the story of resurrection is important and what it means for you. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have them, that's fine. Just steal your neighbors and keep it. They'll have another, I'm sure, right, because they're good Christians. And so here's the deal. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 15, you can follow on the screen with me. I'm just kidding. Don't steal. That's kleptomaniac. We're not going to do that this morning. Here we go. Verse 12. But if it is preached, this is Paul's version. Pay attention. This is Paul speaking, right? He's coming after the fact, and he's speaking. Actually, let's just do a little history lesson real quick so you know why this is important. Paul's coming into the moment, and he's looking at the church in Corinth in Greece, okay? And the people in Corinth are like, hey, it's so in, in, in the Greek world, we don't really believe in like physical resurrections. That doesn't really happen. But hey, listen, we can totally adopt and believe in just a spiritual resurrection, right? Like it happened spiritually. It wasn't an actual physical from the dead resurrection. So we'll go with the spiritual one. And Paul's going to say, well, that's just not good enough. That's not good enough. Like that's. That's not a resurrection, right? A resurrection is a physical body that went down into death then is raised back to new life and is living again. So he's coming and defending and telling, defending the resurrection and telling them why it's important. Okay? So he's just saying, you believe it's this, it's more than that, so let me tell you why. Here we go. Verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead then how can some of you say there's no resurrection? Like, if we're preaching it, then of course it's true. All right, well, hey, if there is no resurrection of the dead, well, then even Christ has not been raised, right? Then, right? And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And listen, so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, that's silly talk, because if that's the case, then you're completely wasting your life. More than that, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Here's the deal. Press pause. Like a personal witness giving a testimony back in this day, like is a really, really, really big deal. If you're found to be in in lying under oath, you would just be killed, right? So people told the truth and they would use, say, no, my testimony, my witness is this. You can trust and believe. So he's saying, well, if you're you're saying this, I can't believe this, right? No, if I'm testifying it, because I know it to be true and I would not lie. Verse, oh, got some new glasses. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, well, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith, I love this word, is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, well, then they're lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are of all people most to be pitied. No, verse 12, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So here in Corinthians, Paul is building a theology all theology means is an understanding of who God is. All right? It's an understanding of who God is. So Paul's building a theology, like an understanding. And that would say this, how then we must view God. Resurrection. It's not a peripheral theme in Scripture. 
It's not like one, it's not one of many that are important, but instead it is what we would say the foundational truth of our faith. For without it, according to verse 14, then our complete faith, everything we believe, all of our religion is completely useless. It's vain, right? It's completely useless. It's in vain and it's futile. Therefore, this morning, what I would say is that the resurrection is the most important part of the faith journey. It's the most important part of the journey of Jesus. Why? There were lots of Jesuses born. Like, literally, Jesus as a name was the most given name in the Jewish time, right? So there were lots of Jesuses. There were lots of Jesuses who died. But there was only one Jesus who died, was resurrected back to bodily form, and then never died again. Especially one who claimed to be God. In fact, if you read through the rest of the New Testament, starting in the book of Acts, every, every claim of faith, every testimony about Jesus, everything that the, the apostles were preaching all revolved around a risen Jesus. Why is that important? Because if it was the foundation of their message to then, then it's still the foundation of our message today. To be honest with you, the foundation of our message is not that God loves you. It's that Jesus was raised from the dead and he loves you. It makes him God. And so with that being said, the first thing we've been to see this morning, resurrection. And I would say, honestly, maybe it's the most important part of, honestly, kind of this resurrection message. And it's simply this. Verse number one, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So let's just assume that Jesus has not been raised. Well, in all of your conviction, all of your belief, all of your trust, all of your faith is completely worthless and it's futile, right? And you are still bound up in your sin. The first and most important work of the resurrection is this is Jesus' forgiveness of our sins through, through, through the resurrection. Scripture tells us really clear, all have sinned. All of us have done something in disobedience to God's will, and honestly, apart from the, His forgiveness, we will just live separated from Him forever. We'll live separated. If God holds our sin against us, then there's no hope for anything else from God. In fact, the whole, the whole of Scripture revolves around the theme of sin entering the world. Hear this, like, I'm just going to like super simplify the entire Bible for you, right? This is like ultra Cliff Notes version. Everything's perfect. Men and women sin. It's like a virus that impacts every other human being who's ever born. All of the Old Testament says, ah, oh, you just can't. Get back into relationship with God again in your own strength. You need someone to come and to save you. Jesus. And then we're empowered by his spirit to go be Jesus. That's the whole Bible. Right? Simplified. Perfection. I mean, ladies, there was no pain in childbirth. Right? I mean, that's awesome. But like first two chapters and then sin comes and then we have pain. And then we can't save ourselves. Jesus can. And then he empowers us to go save the world. That's the Bible. 
And so everything hinges on the work of Jesus to save the world. But it all hinges on us. Be, listen, we have to be washed of our sin. We have to be washed of our disobedience. It's a beautiful picture. We can't understand the Bible. We can't understand resurrection apart from recognizing Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. And then he died for our sins to wash us so that those who would believe in him would have their sins washed and be able to live for eternity with God. Everything hinges around this, and it's all because the resurrection happened. The cross and the resurrection together are God's act to break the power of sin for those who believe. So in this, our faith is not futile, and we can be saved from our sins, as John Piper says on the screen Everybody in this room this morning needs forgiveness. And deep inside, even when we don't think about it, we long for it. Forgiveness. We long to be accepted by God. We fear the alienation of our guilt. Jesus has been raised. Our faith, our belief, our conviction is not futile. And our sin for those who believe has been forgiven. That's why resurrection's important. That's what Scripture says. Second thing, if Christ has not been raised, well, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Verse 14 tells us the resurrection, it gives us a message that's worth sharing and that Jesus is completely trustworthy. What does Scripture say, Steve, about resurrection? Well, here it says... It gives us a message we're sharing with everyone in the world. And because of the resurrection, Jesus is completely trustworthy. I can always trust him. Listen, there is nothing worse than someone selling something that is worthless and based on a lie. There's nothing we call, listen, we think about it, we think about it, we call them deceitful, we call them charlatans, we call them frauds. But since Jesus was actually raised from the dead, then he's not a charlatan. He's not a fraud, and neither are we. Because of the resurrection, because Jesus was actually raised from the dead, then we can have faith or a trust and a belief in him. Because he was raised... We can trust him because he did what he said he would do. Then we can trust him at all times because of the resurrection. Listen, there is some because of the resurrection. There is someone we can trust. Absolutely. Every single listen. See if this describes you. Okay, like see if this describes you. This is my conviction. I believe every single one of us deep in our heart has a longing To have someone in our life that we can count on through thick and thin. That we long for someone who is completely and wholly and absolutely trustworthy. This longing, this longing has been placed inside of you so that Jesus could meet it. Let me just let you in a little secret. The people who were closest to you will let you down. I don't care if they're your children. I don't care if they're your spouse. I don't care if they're your parents. 
somewhere along the way, they are not going to meet an expectation. They're not going to follow through on a promise. It may be big and it may be small. I have no idea. And Jesus allows that to happen in our humanity so that you would recognize there's only one who is absolutely trustworthy without fail, and his name is Jesus, and he proved it through his resurrection. So here's the, here's the deal. I feel like there's just, I don't fucking always trust my spouse. Fantastic, that's a gift from the Lord. Because he wants to point you to him. Your spouse may not let you down. Let's hope that never happens, right? Jesus is showing us that only he is absolutely trustworthy and some way can place our faith in him. You should let that sink in. Everyone's going to let you down in your life except for Jesus. And he allows that to always point you towards him. Jesus has been raised. Your preaching, your sharing, let's be honest, you don't preach very much, that's fine, right? Your sharing, man, it is powerful and useful and effective. And because of the resurrection, man, you can have absolute faith and trust in Jesus. And the third thing, Christ has not been raised. Verse 15, if Christ has not been raised, then we're found to be false witnesses, right? We're lying. We're not telling the truth. Because Christ has been raised, listen, because Christ has been raised from the dead, because the disciples, the men and the women ran to the tomb, saw that it was empty and the resurrection was true, because that happened, then what they said and what we say, what we share, whether the world can receive it or not, it is true. In fact, let me use this language unashamedly. It is an absolute truth. It does not change. It is true for every human being, no matter where they live in the world, right? If Christ, because Christ has been raised, then what we're saying, it is true. The truth of the resurrection, I'll be honest with you. If you've ever done it in your homework, the resurrection of Jesus honestly is hardly debatable for anyone who truly gives time and energy to studying its historical credibility. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm being honest here. Like, I'm not just saying that I'm a pastor and I'm trying to get you all excited on Easter morning, right? I'm saying, like, for those who've gone and done, like, historical study, it's incredibly, almost difficult at best, or probably impossible to prove that the resurrection didn't happen. There's more evidence for it than the little evidence against it. I encourage you, listen to the message from last Easter I preached. I think it's okay, right? It talks of the defense of the gospel as it relates to these pieces of defending the truth of the resurrection. I'm just going to name just a few things right here that there are arguments for the resurrection. I'm just going to name them very quickly. I'm not going to dive deep into them. Listen to the message. It's this. Number, number one, there were eyewitnesses that no one in the day could deny. Jesus didn't just, like, he was around for a long season, right? Let's just, just, let's just say he was around for a month, okay? Think about how long a month lasts. Jesus was around for an entire month hanging out with people Eating, so it wasn't just a spirit, or the stuff would have fallen out of him, right? It's a literal physical body. He like literally was eating. He was literally drinking. Lots of people saw him and giving testimony, sharing the story, right? Just being a witness to it. The second thing is this: in the problem of the resurrection, is this? It's a problematic story. 
It's a problematic story. Think about this. If I wanted to build a fake story for the entire world to believe, I'm going to recognize that I don't want to create any problems to the story. I want to make it as easy to believe as possible so that everyone will go, oh my gosh, this is so great. But the story of the resurrection is problematic. Sorry, ladies, but it begins with you. Like the, the least credible witness, hear this, the least credible witness in the time of Jesus were women. Sorry, they just were. No one listened to women. They could never be brought in to, to share their witness. Their, their testimony never counted. Isn't it interesting, though? This is why it's problematic. The very first person to give testimony and witness about Jesus being resurrected was women. Yay, women. He's the first man, the first feminist, right? You know what I mean? In a holy way. He's fighting for women here. He wants to give them a voice. He wants to reveal himself. But it's problematic. I'll be honest with you. If you wanted to tell a story that changes the world, then you would never, ever make women a primary testimony. The only thing you can assume is that it must have happened that way. It must be true. Because who would make that story up? That would be stupid. But it wasn't. Jesus, in his perfect will, saw that to be perfect. The third thing, the empty tomb. It's really simple. No one's going to preach about an empty tomb just a few days after it happened. Why? Because you could just run down to the tomb and see if he was there. Right? Does it make any sense? It's illogical to come and to preach an empty tomb unless it's actually empty. Because people could go look. They knew where the tomb was. Everybody did. Everybody knew who Joseph of Arimathea was. He was super rich and well-known. That's where Jesus was buried. They just run down there. It's empty. Yep, it sure is. Or how about the, the last one? No one dies for a lie that they made up. Every disciple was killed, murdered for their faith. Men, I'm not just talking about the, the disciples, like the 11 or 12, like the 11 now, right? No, I'm talking like men and women, hundreds, were killed for their faith. People who were eyewitnesses. Listen, you know how it works? Let's just be real honest. If you make up a lie that's going around the school, and someone puts a gun to your head and says, Either you tell me the truth, I'm going to kill you right now on three. One. Oh, my God, go, 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 go. Made it up, made it up, made it up. No one died. No one's an idiot and dying for a lie. They didn't get any kind of financial reward for making up a lie and then perpetuating and sending it across to all the masses. They don't get anything in return except hardship, persecution, and death. Doesn't that seem illogical? Who would go die for a lie where they get nothing in return from except hardship? Christ has been raised. Our message is absolute truth. If Christ has not been raised, number four, then we are most of all people, we're, of all people, we're most to be pitied. I would absolutely agree. If Christ has not been raised, then living for him, doing what he says, following his will, it's just stupid. 
right? Let's just be honest. It's not easy being a Christian. It's not easy walking away from sin. It's not easy being obedient to Jesus. Like, there's nothing like, what's so great being a Christian? No, it's hard to be a Christian. You're living counterculture. You're having to live different, right? And what if we're giving all of our life to a lie? We are most to be pitied. We are most to be pitied. We would be pitied like insane people who believe hallucinations. But since he has been raised, we believe we can defend this historically, and we believe he's alive, and he reigns as king forever, then all of our obedience, all of our, let's hear this, all of our love, all of our self-denial, it's, it's, it's not just to not be pitied, but it is to be envied by everyone in the world. They should want what you have. That's the point. You should be enviable. Your life should be enviable. People should want what you have because of the truth of the resurrection in your life. That is the truth of Scripture, of what resurrection is all about. We can positively say that because of the resurrection, we are to be envied. Our preaching is not in vain. It is full. It's meaningful. It's valid. It's valuable. It's significant. Christ has been raised, and people will want, and they definitely need what we have. That's the resurrection. That's the truth. Do you see Easter that way? Do you know from Scripture that that is true for us about Easter? And the last thing, number five, if Christ has not been raised then no one will be raised. So the idea is this. This is the message of verse 20. Jesus is the first fruit. I'm going to read verse 20 for you, just so you can hear it again. It simply says this, but, listen, but, but it says, if Christ, if Christ has not been raised, da, 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 but Christ has indeed been raised, verse 20 from the dead, he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Here's the deal. This is a verse, hear this, it's a verse of victory. Jesus, no, 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 no. It wasn't a spiritual resurrection only. It was a physical body resurrection. This, this, all of these things, it's what it means for you. It's what it means for us. It's in all the world wants it. They're envious of it, right? God is leading them and wooing them to this message. We have it through the resurrection. It is absolutely true. And we are here today to celebrate the resurrection, right? But Jesus is the first fruit, meaning if he has been raised to never die and go spend eternity with, with God in joys and pleasures forevermore, then so will we. That's the message. It's the truth of heaven. Jesus has been raised. He's the first of many fruits that will be raised up to spend perfection. And we'll listen, it's going to be like Genesis 1 and 2 all over again. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be perfect. Ain't no grave going to keep me down. Ain't no grave going to keep me from spending eternity and enjoying the pleasures of God forevermore. Ain't no grave. You better believe it. Like when I sing that song, I'm like, Jesus has got that. He's his eyes, man. This is with fire. This isn't one of those touchy-feely bunny songs, man. This is one of those like, ain't no grave. Oh, you get the eye thing going. It's like that person looking across like, oh, don't bring it. Bring it. Mm -hmm. You want some of this? Ain't no grave keeping me down. That's what we're talking about here. That's what we're talking about right here. We're victorious 
Jesus, with his eyes like fire and his robe dipped with blood, says, no, I'm coming back for my children because they belong to me. Separation and hell have been defeated. I've come to forgive them of their sins. I've given them a message. It's powerful. It's good. They can take it wherever they go. And I'm coming back to get them because I want them to enjoy everlasting perfection and the pleasures of God forever. Do you ever think about heaven? Like, do you ever imagine? Like, I just wonder if you ever imagine. Like, I mean, he's talking about the first fruits here. He's like, he, like when, when, when they, when the Corinthians read verse 20, the first fruits, right, of those who will be raised, they may have agreed with it, but they understood it. Because the first fruits of going and spending eternity with God in heaven. Listen, if you've been taught that all you do in heaven is sing all day long and stand up and stand down, that's not it. Heaven looks like Genesis 1 and 2, where you're living life, enjoying life, working hard, doing stuff with one another, and living in perpetual, never-ending, perfect relationship with God that is beautiful, kind, rich, funny, filled with hilarity, and beautiful. Jesus is full of the best jokes in the world, guys. If you listen right now, he'll tell you them. Why do you think we have comedians? They can just hear humor better than others, I'm saying. Think about the fullness of God. We are here today to celebrate the resurrection. If Christ had not been raised, well, then all of this would be ridiculous. All of our time, our energy, our investment into our faith. But Jesus was raised from the dead, meaning his message of salvation was true. It is true. And every result of his resurrection, the things we named today, we talked about, they are alive, they are well, and they're available. That's what he has for us. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful. We are thankful, God, for your kindness. But not just like a random kindness, God. I mean, it's like the fullness of kindness. That you look down and say, for the joy set before me, I will endure the cross because I want my people, my creation, who I created in my image, I want them to be with me forever with no separation. That's not okay. And so, Father, we ask this morning that you would, that you would speak. So this morning, Laura is painting a lamb. And there's a story from Revelation chapter 4 and 5 where John, he has been brought into this, like he's having a vision, right? And God is, he's like hearing things and seeing things. Just read the book of Revelation. A lot of it doesn't make any sense. It's hard to understand, but this part makes sense. He's there. And everyone, like there's a scroll and nobody can open it. I don't, it's like the scroll of life. It's the scroll that kind of speaks to what God is doing. It's this this beautiful reality of what God wants to share with people. And no one can open the scroll. It says everyone's weeping. It says they're weeping. No one is found worthy to open the scroll. One of the elders looks at John and says, don't worry. Line the tribe of Judah's coming. He's about to open the scroll. 
He can open it. And John looks up. This is exciting, right? And all of a sudden, Scripture says, and then as a lamb being led to the slaughter, the lamb comes over, takes the scroll, and opens, and everyone begins to worship. You see, when we talk about Jesus, it's so interesting that he's named the Lion of Judah. You know what lions are? They're the kings. Like, they're powerful. They're to be feared. But Jesus comes out and says, I'm actually a lamb. I'm actually a lamb as well as a lion. Because I've come in humility. I've come in brokenness. I've come to draw near. Lions may be scary, but lambs are cuddly. I want you to know I want to be near to you. I want to serve you. I want to be kind. I want to come with peace. I want to come and know you can draw me near as I draw near to you. But never forget I'm also a lion. I am to be feared by all nations. The enemy will fear me. But to you I am a lamb who draws in. Here's the beautiful picture. It's kind of this what we call an upside down kingdom. Is that we come in with God and he says, no. If you want to be like me, you will serve. You will come like the Lamb, right? You will come in humility. It's not about lording over. It's about humility. Taking off, right? Remember the story from Scripture. Taking off the outer garment and washing his disciples' feet to show humility. The heart of service. And so Jesus is coming in multiple messages in this Lamb image. I want you to look at this. Don't look at me. Look at the Lamb. The Lamb represents... God's desire to be near. God's desire to serve us and to fight for us and die for us as the lamb who was led to slaughter. So that you could have relationship with him. Listen, Easter's going to happen in about 15 minutes. Let's give the next 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 5 minutes to focusing on the message. Jesus came that you might have life in the resurrection. He came as a lamb, as a servant, so you could draw near. But never forget, he's also the lion who conquers, who destroys everything that gets in the way of his loved ones. He is a paradox. He is two things at one time that seemingly can't go together, but absolutely do. And so this morning, I invite you to close your eyes because I want to give people a chance who've never given their lives to Jesus this morning an opportunity to do so. This morning, if you're here and either you do not know if you're a Christian or not, or maybe you're just very, very confident that you are not. In fact, some of you are really passionate saying, pretty excited about not believing in Jesus. Jesus looked at you this morning and says, that's okay. I love you right where you are. And what I want to say this morning is that Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, is about Jesus saying, I want you to know that I have made a way for us to be in relationship. The reality is, number one, all of us have sinned. All of us have had acts of disobedience and they've separated us from God. And God is like, that's not okay with me. I want to make, I want to make a way for you to know me and live with me forever. How do you do that? Well, you have to believe that Jesus lived. You have to believe he died. You have to believe that he was raised again. 
And then you have to give your life to him as saying, everything I have belongs to you. You are Lord, you're in charge, and I will follow you forever. That's it. We believed. We believed he lived, he died, he was resurrected. And the belief is about then following, giving everything in our life up to him. He said, I'm not sure God is real. Let me tell you something. God's been speaking to you every day. Like he's been speaking to you even this week. Like, you know, when you lay down at night and it's like all of a sudden your thoughts start to wander and you start questioning, like, what's my purpose in life? Or ask the question, why do I exist? Or we look at it and go, I'm just not sure. How can I, I this life is so difficult. I just can't do it on my own. Or, God, I've got all this stuff in my life. It's just too heavy. So many regrets. I just can't move on from those. I'm just stuck. When you hear those words, that is 100% always God speaking, saying, you know what? Those things are true. But I came and was resurrected so I could set you free from all of them. I can give you a purpose. I can give you a calling. And I can set you free from everything in your past so that you are forgiven, you are washed clean, and I will forget everything that you have done and make you a new person forever. But the third thing, let me just give you good news, what happens when you give your life to Jesus and he comes and he lives inside of you, he brings, his, he brings what they call fruit, the fruit of his presence, which is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness, it's goodness, it's gentleness, it's faithfulness. And in our culture, he brings a spirit of self-control. And the only way we receive those holistically and in fullness is through Jesus coming in and being a part of our life. But when he comes, he brings them unapologetically and says, I don't want you to have them a little bit, I want you to have it all. So this morning, with your eyes closed. This morning, if you would like, you know that God's wooing you. You know he's calling you. You know these things are true and you recognize this is the moment I want to give my life to Jesus. Right where you are, I just want to invite you just to lift your hand up. You need to lift it high enough so I can see it. The lights are really bright. Unashamedly. By the act of raising our hand, we are making that commitment before the Lord. You don't have to pray some special prayer. It's just saying, God, this is true, and I want to live for it. And so, Father, I pray this morning for the people, God, who have raised their hands, or God, maybe those internally, Lord, are afraid to raise their hands, but they're making this commitment because they know you see them. We pray this morning, God, that you would move in their hearts. I pray, God, that you would put them on a path to life with you and the resurrection and all that we said this morning will come true and alive inside of them. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. This morning, if that's what you did, here's the deal. You can't live your, you can't live, no one can live life on an island. And so this morning, I, if that's you, I want, I'm just on the front row, just sometime before you leave, I'd like for you to let me know that decision that you've made, that commitment that you've made. Um, And then I would like to follow up with you this week just to connect with you.
Because this is not just in a moment, it's a lifelong journey we enter into with Jesus. And we want to help you on a journey. All right? So this morning, hey, we're officially done. We've made it. The way that we, we end our services here, and we're going to do it no different this morning, is this. We have our offering baskets here. Why? Because people like to worship through an offering, taking their finances and saying, God, you've given this to me. I take this portion and give it back to you. So offering baskets here, little giving metal box right there. And we have an iPad giving kiosk outside for all of you techies. We also have communion available on both sides, right? Communion's available on both sides. This, communion, honestly, y'all, like communion is about the good news of Jesus. This is good news. That's the point. The resurrection is the best news the world's ever known. We take communion as we take it. We're remembering what Christ has done, but recognizing it's still alive and active today. So we take communion to remember and to celebrate that living and active today. And then third, this may be new for some of you, we have ministry teams. Ministry teams are people like you who just love other people. And they want to pray for people with needs going on in their life. It's nothing weird. It's just people who love people praying for people they love, right? And so they're going to be on both sides, right? And when you feel like you need prayer, you come up to those people and they will be really nice. They're going to smile at you, tell you they love you, and then pray for you. It's going to be super simple, okay? So with that, don't forget 9 Healing Prayer uh, this Thursday. And have a great rest of your Easter. We are officially done with service. I simply ask when you're ready. You're more than welcome to leave. We just ask that you would wait till you get outside to talk so people can have this moment with Jesus. We love you and uh, have a great week.